technique. I've got a new breathing coach. By the power of Castle Gay Skull. I mean, hate skull. God damn it, I messed it up, but we're going to keep going. It was just a Freudian slip. Don't look too much into it. There's nothing going on here in my brain that was thinking gay and then it came out, okay? It's just a slip of the tongue. It happens to every closet homosexual. I mean, normal guy. Anyway, how you doing? Casey, is that going to get us banned? Yeah. Is that going to... Okay, should we just... But did you ever see uh, Nor- Norm Macdonald on like uh, Conan O'Brien? He was uh-huh. he'd say like in his memoir or whatever that he's a deeply closeted homosexual. And Nor- and Conan would be like, "Wait, you're gay?" And he's like, "No, I said I'm deeply closeted." <laughs> I did see that. You? That's, that's my. It's favorite. amazing, yeah, because it's there's no. Resp- I like jokes that trick you into responding the only way that would be appropriate. It's like you're telling me you're gay, but also that you're deeply closeted. So, so he would never admit that he's gay. That's called a rhetorical trick. We're mm-hmm. gonna go right into hella rhetorical. Let's examine that oh, wow. sentence. Just kidding. We, you know, we actually were going to go straight to a new segment I'm calling Hot Chick of the Week. Now, we had this absolute beauty submitted to us earlier this week, and I thought, wow, what is her name? What is her number? I want to get into contact with her. Look at those cheeks. Look at those lips. And uh, according to her, she's all natural. So they don't make them like they used to, huh? What's going on here? What's going on? This is actually... This is me dressed as a woman, all right? That I'm going to come you? clean. I am going to come clean. Bro. Yes. Now you guys know what I do on the weekend. So when you come in and say, hey, how, you know, sup, fool, what's going on? What'd you do this weekend? One part that I've been leaving out is the fact that I dress up like a woman for fun. I'd smash. Uh, you and every other guy on planet Earth, I think it's safe to say, this picture came up. Somebody actually sent it to me. They're scrolling. You know, it's from 2017 when I was on 50 Central and a couple sketches I would do. Markeisha. This is actually a funny little cultural commentary. I think I have no problem dressing up like a girl for laughs. What you do see is that it's a lot of work. Putting on nails, doing the hair and makeup, you know, getting on a dress, even just doing it to this degree. It's like, you know, to do makeup effectively, you're either hiring somebody. Like, there's a couple of times I'm like, oh, I want to do a sketch as a girl. That'd be funny. And then I'm like, well, then I would have to like do makeup every time if I want to look stunningly gorgeous like I do in this picture. Um, and it's more work than I want to do. But I was going to say, when they came to us and had some sketch ideas, I was the only white person on the cast. The, the other black men on the cast, the other cast members who were men were black, I should say, they in no way wanted to dress up as women. And I don't know if that's a broader cultural thing or like Dave Chappelle influenced people to do that because remember he was on Inside the Actor's Studio talking about how there's like this notion that when a black man gets too famous, they emasculate you by putting you in a dress and they try to get him to do that. Like, no, it's going to be hilarious on, you know, Chappelle's show. And he's like, no, man, I don't do that. Um, Everyone has different cultures and different boundaries. And so it's like, that would make sense to me, especially if you have, if you knew you were going to get a lot of shit for it or whatever, I can see doing that, but I, for one, don't have those kind of hangups, so I jumped at the opportunity. If you Google 50 Cent Steals Another Man's Girl on YouTube, I'm not saying we're going to watch it here, but you will see me, one of the sketches uh, that I did dressed as a girl as Markeisha is on YouTube, and I love it. One of my favorite sketches from that show, and Jasmine Brown's dressed up as a guy, and she's Hilarious. Like when I show people how Jasmine Brown actually looks in real life compared to the character that she does, Reggie the mechanic, they're shocked. Okay, now that we got that out of the way, that I am in fact a beautiful woman, 
we can go on to the Liver King meme of the week. I thought this was hilarious. And it doesn't even involve the Liver King. It just involves Donald Trump talking about him. It's, <laughs> you're letting me know that I didn't know for the first time is what Donald Trump says. The caption at the top is what sets up that joke. Me. You know, he claims to be a natty, but he's obviously not. He makes veiled references to his PED use all the time. Some people actually are saying his abs are fake, too. This guy is a total fraud, man. You have to check it out. The cashier checking me out. <laughs> uh, that's the first time I'm hearing about this. <laughs> Love it. It's so perfect. And, uh, and I just always find that I, you do stuff like that. You start going off on the things that you care about and forget that not many other people do care about that. And you're putting people in a weird position. I've never done that, right? That's crazy. Me, make people uncomfortable in situations by talking about things they're bored from? <laughs> okay, let's get into... <laughs> Casey's like, nope, never happened to me, man. That's crazy, dude. Yeah, yeah you only talk about stuff that everybody's um, into. <sighs> Sup, fool? So I, I saw this the other day and thought it was worthy talking about First of all, Luke Thomas, he's a guy who I really respect as far as, you know, one MMA expert to another. Um, he breaks down the X's and O's. And I think, you know, you have guys like Brendan. I always actually love hearing Brendan's insight into the world of MMA and how certain things work that as a fighter or, uh, you know, as a guy who's been behind the scenes or even a guy who has so many relationships in MMA. Anytime I hear something that he tells me in private about some of his experiences, it's always super interesting. And I think Brendan has this, you know, sort of, uh, you know, editorial opinion-based uh, hot take, you know, lane of MMA where he's been there and he's also commentating on it. I love hearing stuff like that. Then you got guys, but he's not going to necessarily, you know, analyze a whole fight and break down the X's and O's of each kick. But guys like... Um, Luke Thomas, and there's a few others um, that a lot of it's above my pay grade, you know, but I do learn from it. I don't necessarily get everything that he's talking about, um, like Dan Hardy, you yeah, know. That's, I, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah Dan like, Hardy, like super intellectual X's and O's, like stuff that you really, it's impossible to see unless you have his level of correct experience and also intelligence to be able to break it down that way. Yeah, and he also, like I realized... It's a YouTube video. I listen to a lot of YouTube videos and I'm like, I can't listen to this because I'll be totally lost. You know, you actually have to look at the graphic and like watch mm -hmm. his replays and stuff like that. But I love that there's guys out there doing this. Luke Thomas is another one where I feel like he's got that analysis of fights down where he's looking at the X's and O's and it's like, man, he is good at his job. Now, is he a guy I go to for diet expertise? Not necessarily. I'm not saying that he doesn't know what he's talking about, but he made an interesting point here that I'm going to agree and also disagree with. So let's run that tape. Think about a dude I've never heard of is the steak and eggs diet. Dude, all of these fucking diets, they all do the same thing. They all do the same thing. Keto, paleo, whatever the fuck you want. They all do the same thing. Time-restricted eating, whatever. All they do <laughs> is shorten the window you can eat or the kinds of amounts you can eat or the certain types of food you can eat in such a way as to reduce calories. That's it. They have different mechanisms of finding the same answer, but they all work the same. Yeah. To me, like when someone's like a carnivore diet, it's like I, I don't really understand what the problem is with having a well-balanced diet. And as someone who's had digestive problems, like real digestive problems, where I've had to go to the fucking hospital for them, 
that seems like relatively crazy to me. So I can't speak to this gentleman's particular worldview. But what I would humbly ask you to consider is that all of these diets work the same, basically. Find which one works best for you and enjoy. Someone's asking. There we go. So obviously he's speaking directly to Brendan, <laughs> which I didn't think about before with the carnivore. No, but the carnivore is pretty popular. And he could actually very well be speaking of Brennan. I know they, they talk about exercise sometimes. Um, they, they communicate back and forth. What I was going to say is he's making a really good broad point, which is if you're trying to lose weight, if that's the objective and the only objective, then putting yourself in a caloric deficit is the only end goal, right? Because you can eat lots of healthy food. You know, you could be eating a chicken and broccoli diet and in theory be in a caloric surplus which isn't going to help you lose weight, although you might turn around and go, I'm eating 100% healthy and I never have a cheat meal anytime. How can I possibly be gaining weight? Now, to me, to Casey, and some, if you're into fitness, my assumption is that you know that. Like the fundamental basic idea that a caloric deficit is the only way to lose weight, whether that's from... Uh, diet exclusively or from exercise exclusively or a combination of the two. And I realize that sentence might not even make sense, but I mean, like if you're going, I'm going to set my, you know, calories at maintenance for, you know, my sort of just general activity level, my BMR, and then increase or decrease what you're like, okay, and then I'm going to decrease the calories because I don't want to do extra, extra exercise, or I'm going to increase my exercise because I don't want to reduce my calories anymore or figuring out, you know, how to balance both of those, but you just got to burn more calories than you take in, whether that's just through your body's natural processes or uh, from additional exercise and movement throughout the day. But if it's not del deliberate exercise, you know, walking or even, you know, just sort of standing, right? Casey's got this dope ass standing desk. And sometimes it just pops up my, whoa, put the hydraulics on that bad boy, huh? And you know, those are the only mechanisms. I take for granted sometimes that people know this. I was talking with one of my clients. I'm not going to throw him under the bus, but you know who you are. And he, I've noticed that he has more of an obsession, like his idea of eating healthy is like, I'm going to reduce fats. I'm going to eat chicken instead of this. And like people have these foods that they latch on to, like this is eating healthy to me. And it's often at least partially mistaken, or if the objective is to lose body fat, they're not looking at it in the context of like this balance, this checkbook. And I like to encourage people to use a weekly checkbook balancing to look at your total calories because it's going to be different every day. You know, you're going to maybe cheat one day and then you want to borrow the next day rather than feeling like every day I have to be perfect or I'm off my diet. So I like to get people to think in terms of a weekly caloric balance because it allows you some creativity and flexibility and differentiating, you know, uh, your calories on different days where you might be exercising more, etc. He I realize didn't know that you can only lose weight in a caloric deficit. He's trained for many years. He was even around bodybuilders growing up and in his 20s. And part of like the training that he likes is that style that he kind of learned when he was younger. But I didn't realize he didn't understand that basic, like he wants to lose fat. But he's like, oh, I didn't realize you have to count it and actually be in a deficit and didn't understand how you could calculate that baseline. And specifically, he goes, well, I know 
the, two, the FDA recommends 2,000 calories a day. And so I was just looking at, and I go, ho, oh, oh, ho, oh. <laughs> ho, And of course, this is a government entity saying this. So it's like the food pyramid, you know? It's like, wait, I'm not supposed to eat 11 servings of grains every day? What? But obviously these things are bunk, but I also take that for granted because this is government propaganda essentially about fitness that, you know, helps certain industries and doesn't actually look out for an individual's best interests as far as health. 2,000 calories is meaningless, right? Because that doesn't even say man or woman or, you know, I'm 250 pounds. Uh, you could be a 125-pound male. We have the same caloric uh, requirements? No. We would at least be, you know, the, the easy way to answer that is I need twice as many calories for my weight. There's all sorts of variability based on height, weight, age, uh, activity, all these things, and it's been flattened out to 2,000 calories. Now, that's not a bad starting point, but like I would lose a lot of weight, but a small girl would either keep her same size or get fatter potentially. You know, if you're around 100 pounds, you easily gain weight on 2,000 calories a day. So that basic notion of like what's your caloric starting point, that's a not something I guess you can take for granted. So go to caloriecalculator.net, go to my fitness pal. Estimate your BMR, and that's your basal metabolic rate. If you were to sleep all day, essentially lay down, that's how many calories your body would be burning. And it's probably more than you think. You know, your body requires calories just to get through the day. Um, so that's going to button up me talking about like, yeah, you got to figure out that number and then figure out how many calories you're eating. It's easier to measure actually the calories that you're putting in your body than you're expelling, even the, the most complex instruments to do that aren't quite accurate, but measuring caloric intake is far more accurate because whatever you can measure, you know, in a gram of something, you can just scale that, right? We know how many calories are in a gram of any food that you're eating. Where he's wrong, where I'm going to push back a little bit, and obviously, you know, anytime a guy's like, oh, diets are all the same, and it's like, okay, show me how you got to 6% body fat. Not to diss Luke Thomas, but he is overweight, right? Just visually speaking. Uh, you can see it through his clothes. It doesn't look bad. He looks good for his age, but he doesn't look like a guy who's ever done any sort of extreme dieting to get under 10% body fat, let alone like six or five. When you start to talk to those kind of guys, like Kino Body or Greg Doucette or anybody, you'll see that they have their own little tricks for doing so, especially if they're like selling a program. It's often like, they have their hacks for getting down there. They have an understanding of that process of getting ripped. And it's not just, oh, any diet's going to do, it's all just calorie deficit. Okay. On top of a calorie deficit, what's going to make you most full, right? A carnivore diet and or a steak and eggs diet is going to make you very full and satiated and also uh, reduce the risk of you overeating because it's very hard to overeat just steak and eggs without any sort of carbohydrates. So the main thing I think that people are drawn to with keto, number one, you see rapid results because in part, you're not going to retain as much water when you're not eating carbohydrates and specifically processed carbohydrates because you eat a bag of chips or crackers, all that dry processed carbohydrate inside your body is going to make you want to drink a lot more water, you know, because normally you're eating carbohydrates in fruits and vegetables in the wild as a Neanderthal. When that's not present, um, you know, or all these foods also have a lot of salt too. So you're going to be retaining water from excessive sodium consumption. 
<sighs> These things make a difference to your appearance, how you feel, your motivation, and also when you, uh, you know, say things like, oh man, that's going to be terrible in my GI tract. Lots of people have, you know, enormous amounts of trouble eating normal carbohydrates too. Like, and I would say, having done some of these diets before, you know, my bowel movements are way shittier when I eat a bunch of carbs, right? I just, they're, they're softer, they're more unpredictable, whatever. It just, I've actually counterintuitively, like there's this narrative out there that eating meat all the time is necessarily going to mess your stomach up and give you diarrhea or something, but that's just not my experience and I think the experience of a lot of people. And then the last most important thing is it actually does make a difference to your long-term health when you see these carnivore diets, these high-protein. If you have a problem, if you're pre-diabetic, if you suffer from insulin insensitivity because you've been eating a lot of carbohydrates uh, and specifically processed carbs or simple carbs in the form of sugar and candy and stuff, doing a low-carb diet could potentially reset that and alter the course of your health. So there's a reason to do that and a reason to at least try it out and consider this idea and consider you know, the fact that you might be insulin insensitive because you eat too many carbohydrates. Mm. All right? And also, like, just, you know, he just generally offers no insight. And she's like, it's all the same, man. Okay. It's all the same, but, you know, getting to a caloric deficit with high protein is going to allow you to maintain a lot more muscle versus, a, you know, a, achieving a caloric deficit, for example, by only eating brown rice all day. Eh, not really going to work, is it? As far as retaining the maximum amount of muscle. Dude, I just got to say, mm -hmm. Larry Wheels, he's quitting steroids. And this means that I will be on more steroids than Larry Wheels moving forward. And also outlifting him in every single major lift on the planet. So I'm not going to play this video, but he was, this is like big news in the fitness industry, Larry Wheels. If you don't know Larry Wheels, get out from under that rock you've been living under and watch a YouTube video. Google his name. The dude's tremendously strong. And anabolics are one part of that. But from what he's disclosed, I don't think he even takes absurd doses. And also, I think that's a misunderstanding of how even steroids work. Is like, you can't take enough steroids to get as strong as Larry Wheels. He's done like a 500-pound seated press, a 450-pound standing press that was relatively strict. These numbers are so insane. Like, you know, think of the biggest bodybuilder you know. Even that, that, that he's going to be way stronger than they are. Even though he may not look as big in some senses, like he has many world records in raw bench, deadlift. I'm not sure about squat, but certainly his total. I've seen him do like a nine plate deadlift or like a 900 pound deadlift at zoo. Although some of the plates don't weigh that much, so you know. Be, but he's he's essentially insanely strong and one of the strongest people of all time, right? Um, and so steroids help that, but, you know, naturally, you look at a video of him when he's like 14 or 15, he clearly has the genetics and the muscle bellies and the inserts uh, of a guy who's uh, could probably do tremendous things naturally. And I think that was one of the reasons that he started taking steroids in the first place is he described being young and like seeing, oh, I'm already like 15 and benching 405 naturally. Like I would, I'm within striking distance of some of these powerlifting records. And of course, 
that's going to motivate you to be like, all right, I'm going to take it to the next level. And actually, instead of being like, I'm the strongest natty in the world, which turns out nobody gives a fuck about, he wants to be just the strongest guy in the world. You've seen him do a bunch of different stuff over the years because of injuries. And unlike somebody like Callum Von Moger, who sort of seemingly has succumbed to his injuries or didn't pivot into something else because he'd get an injury and, you know, maybe he increased the partying or didn't find another outlet. Larry Wheels has suffered frequent injuries, but seemingly always got back on the horse and was doing something. He switched to arm wrestling. He tried out bodybuilding. He would redirect his goals. And he's had this goal of a thousand pound deadlift that he says in the video that he still ultimately wants to do. But the big announcement is he's getting off steroids. Now, even that's a misnomer because he's still taking TRT. I hate when people blur the lines between injectable testosterone and steroids. You are injecting an anabolic steroid into your body. Uh, it's an exogenous substance that's being put in your body. You're on steroids. Now, you can argue about how strong that dose is, but ultimately it's the same thing because if you're taking 600 milligrams, right? You're on steroids. But all of a sudden at 200, it's not steroids. But the dose that he talks about, actually, the window is like 70 to 175 is what he says in the video is considered TRT. But ultimately, if your true goal is testosterone replacement, you'd be looking at your blood levels and achieving a certain blood concentration of testosterone. I believe he's taking 175. That's going to be a huge dip from what I understand uh, from what he had normally been taking. Here's the competitive angle that I think he's found. Listening to the video, he goes, I want to see how much I can do natural or not on steroids. No, he's going to be on PRT, but you get the idea. I think he's a guy who's motivated by competition in any sense. And that's another difference between him and Callum. Callum, I know, competed as a bodybuilder, but I think he was more interested in just the sort of like the fame career path because he got into acting, you know, he trained a lot, but it was less clear to me that he sort of had an objective numerical way to evaluate himself as a guy, you know, and to compete with yourself. But I think Larry Wheels is a great case study in a guy who's like, what can I do next to improve myself and get better at? When this fails or I can't do this one thing, I can't do powerlifting, I'm going to go do arm wrestling. And he got really into that. And I don't care if people quit their stuff, right? Do it for two years or a year. You don't have to do something for the rest of your life uh, just because you start it, right? Um, it's a way for him, knowing he's a competitor, knowing that, uh, that he finds satisfaction and purpose and meaning in that, then you have to find any way to keep doing that. And so, even though you're going to have to take this step back, and this is now a broader metaphor for like, when you're on steroids, it's hard to get off. Many guys have experienced this, and this is one of the warnings up front of like, you know, don't get on unless you can right now deal with the reality that at some point you're going to have to get off or take less, right? You can't blast trend for the rest of your life. You're going to die. Um... And that's been proven, you know, guys who do stupid things like that, like blast trend for seven years is actually one of the things that causes cancer or just even jumping to trend, these really strong compounds. My advice is always like, hey, ramp up, do the safest minimum effective dose and work from there because at some point you're going to have to get off. A lot of people would just look at the fact that, hey, I'm not as strong. Oh my God, my muscles are smaller. Oh my God, these things I don't feel as good, right? If you set this really high bar, he's reframing it. And I always talk about that. 
You have to reframe things and go, okay, yeah, I, okay, I can't do the 1,000-pound deadlift right now or I can't be the strongest I've ever been in my life, but I can be the strongest I've ever been on TRT without all this stuff. So take that, use it for your own life because I think that's one of the most important things in one's own happiness and satisfaction in life is reframing things. You know, Instead of sitting there thinking about all the things that you don't have, all the money you don't have or all the food you don't have or all the whatever. It's this attitude of gratitude versus entitlement and saying, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to do the best with what I have. That's a healthy attitude to take to anything. Yes. This is an episode of Sesame street. Hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm going to jump down. I'm going to come back to bro Sands Academy in a second. Cause it's been serious. This is all going to be super serious. Saucy or not, we haven't done one of those in a while because you know what, I realized I don't really like looking at guys too seriously and go, he's on steroids or not. Um, I enjoy doing mock saucy or nots, which we will continue in the coming weeks. Jesse James West is one of the most well-known young fitness influences in the game, makes a lot of content, and somebody, I only thought about him because I never thought he was on steroids, and then somebody sent me uh, the question, what do you think about Jesse James? Uh, you think he's think he's natty or not? He's, from what I understand, preparing for a competition. When you see him here, looking very ripped. He looks like he's sub 10% body fat. Uh, the lighting's great. The editing on the photo's fantastic. So he's primed, he's dry, to look as ripped as possible. Now, I don't look at him and get the steroid look, but I think this is where a lot of people look at a guy and they correlate being shredded with being on steroids when nothing could be further from the case. Steroids do not make you shredded a caloric deficit long-term on top of a decent amount of muscle makes you look shredded. He has a good base. He trains natty and he trains hard from what I can ascertain and he has enough muscle so that when he gets under 10% body fat, he doesn't just look like uh, you know, he's anorexic, right? Because you can, if you get too skinny, you had no muscle, okay, then you just look like a marathon runner or a cyclist or something like that. I look at that and I go, no, he's just ripped, right? Nothing about his physique seems like it couldn't be achievable naturally by a 20-something-year-old man who's very disciplined about his training and his diet. So apparently the person asking was having a debate with their partner about this. So it is up for debate. And people speculate it on it all the time. But I would use this as a lesson to go, the dude's not on steroids. And also his personality. He doesn't seem like the kind of risk taker, reckless person. That's my main gauge for this kind of stuff. I'm reckless. <laughs> I go, that looks interesting. I'm going to try it and then worry about the consequences later or weigh things out. Just kind of go like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn through self-experimentation. He, did, he strikes me as a much more calculated guy who would be scared. He's scared to fail, and he's also scared to get hooked on drugs, and he's also scared to have that negative reputation. You know, he's a kind of, he wants to be the good guy. That's, that's my read on his persona. You know, it's like a Logan Paul type guy, um, but less edgy, if you can imagine. No, I like, you know, Logan Paul versus Jake Paul. Jake, I believe, would at some point, like as a prank or something like that, take steroids, but you know, guys like this, it's like they've, they feel like they've got too much writing and it's just not worth it. For what? You know, why would he take steroids to, comp you know, like, to compete in some shitty show? <laughs> That's not where he's making his bread and butter. What do you think, Casey? Does this guy look 
on steroids or not? I don't fucking know. Who am I? I'd say no. <laughs> right. But what's your, it's like, you don't even have to analyze it. What's your impression when you <laughs> look at this guy's physique? He doesn't look so jacked that he looks like juicy. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, what like I look for is sh- when you're really lean and your shoulders are still huge, that's kind of a giveaway, right? He has a nice torso. He's got a nice pecs. But yeah, nothing there looks like that's out of the ordinary. When you see a really ripped guy with like huge traps and medial delts specifically, that's probably one of the biggest indicators of like, you know, your androgen receptors are being flooded by exogenous hormones. Yeah. So, yeah, I look at this and I go, for everybody wanting to know how it looks to be ripped, think about him in a shirt. He's not going to look huge. But when you strip away that body fat, when you get under 10% body fat, every single person looks good around 10% body fat. I defy you to show me somebody who looks better at 20% body fat than they do at 10% body fat. Doesn't exist. Um, except for me, I look equally hot at all body fat percentages. It's a fact. So real quick, I just wanted to say for everybody out there who keeps commenting on the channel, oh, Mark hasn't done Kratom this week. Like I heard he's off it. He's sick of it. There's all these rumors out there that I'm no longer taking credit. I'm no longer taking Kratom. Those are all false. Okay. I just wanted to let you know from my heart, I am still taking happy hippo Kratom from HappyHippoHerbals.com. Promo code Thickboy3Cs. Get it, try it. If you don't like it, spit it out of your mouth. Okay? Just kidding. You're going to love it. It actually does taste good, these little, these little uh, liquid vials. And I continue to use it in moderation and like it as a nootropic. And guess what? Don't knock it till you try it. And when you try it, what are you going to do? Oh, 20% off for life at Happy Hippo Herbals. Dot com using promo code thickboy yeah that's what you're gonna do 20 percent off it adds up okay it adds up over the course of a lifetime right you could probably buy a house just from using this discount code you're welcome all right next up we got a hella sick fashion segment where i'm going to talk about oak and stone clothing because that's what i'm wearing and that's what i wear in every one of these episodes coming at you and also as you may know or may not know we are running a promo in august whereby you can not just only use the code HELLA that I have given you to get 10% off at checkout at oakandstoneclothing.com. You can also, with that, send me proof of your purchase, just a screenshot or something like that to my DM, all right? And if I don't get back immediately, comment on one of my posts and I'll see it. But you can get a free phone consultation, minimum of 20 minutes. But look, I've been having these. They're going over, all right? Because... I'm generous with my time, and I want to figure out whatever it is you got an issue with. Training, anabolics, diet, life advice, how to grow your hair out. No, seriously, actually, uh, hair restoration is something we could talk about because I have my own protocol. I have some alternative protocols. I have some experience. I have some advice to give. If any of the things that you hear me talk about interest you more or you just like to get to know me, buy something from Oak and Stone, send me the proof of purchase, and we will get on the phone in the month of August. I promise, and remember, use code HELLA, or did the purchase even happen? I don't know. You're gonna like the shirts regardless. All right, let's get on to Bro Science Academy. Got an interesting one for us today. Now, this clip from the Andrew Huberman channel is talking about all-cause mortality and the best exercises for overall health and longevity with Dr. Peter Ataya. Now, this is an interesting topic for me because a lot of people go, you know, 
you're a bodybuilder. And I, I bristle at that because I go, no, I, I work out to look good. I'm not a bodybuilder. I work out also to feel good and for long-term health. Like there is a mixture of those things going on. Yes, I'm immediately concerned about like, you know, I want to be in shape versus out of shape. I don't think I'm taking that to any sort of extreme. Like I've, again, reframed my, uh, you know, obsession on a certain appearance or performance, which I had more of when I was in my teens and 20s playing football. So it was just much more immediate to be like, I need to be a certain weight. I need to be a certain strength. Now I do think about how it wants to, you know, how I want to be when I'm in my 50s, my 60s. I still want to be strong. I still want to be, um, you know, in good cardiovascular health because I know that's not just going to extend my lifespan. That's also going to extend my health span, which is something that Rhonda Patrick talks about, you know, towards the end of your life. Sure. You're alive to 100. What if the last 30 years of your life is terrible because every day you're in pain, you can't do normal things, you know, you're so weak that you have to ride around in a rascal scooter. <laughs> you're so weak that you have to ride around in a rascal scooter. Scooter! All over Walmart. <laughs> um, your tongue's so weak you can't pronounce basic words. This sounds like a terrible position to be in in life. So I think about this, and it's also stuff that I want to pass this on to my mom and go, hey, here's stuff you can do, or here's how we can sort of measure that. And it's pretty tremendous. When you look at certain things, the first thing I'm going to say is having muscle mass and specifically strength is one of the biggest indicators of a drop in all-cause mortality. When you look at people who are strong for their age and gender and not strong, there's huge differences between all-cause mortality. Why is that? I don't know exactly, but I have to imagine it has something to do with resilience, right? And there's more ways to die when you're too weak to support yourself or get up and down safely. You can fall downstairs more. Um, you know, your body is just less acclimated to general stress even, right? As, a, as somebody who trains with weights, your body's used to uh, undergoing stress and recovering from that at appropriate levels. We saw that in COVID, right? COVID's a stress to your body, and some people aren't equipped to deal with that, especially if you're obese, or you don't work out, all these other things. So I go, yeah, man, I want to be surviving those threats to my livelihood by giving myself appropriate doses of stress that I can control. And so they measure these things like, hey, if you're 40 years old, you know, you want to be able to dead hang for two minutes. You want to be able to do an air squat for two minutes. You want to have a certain VO2 max based on your age that even if you can't measure it, maybe you're looking at a standard that approximates that like, oh, you can run a mile in six minutes. You know, it's not exact, but you can approximate like you're, if you're, if you can run a mile in under this time, or, you know, this is your specific max mile time or, or lowest mile time, that gives you an idea of the VO2 max. The bottom 25% to, uh, to 50 to 70%, um, let me say that again, the bottom 25% when it comes to VO2 max per age group, right, the worst quarter, the, the people who have the lowest VO2 max per their age versus the 50th percentile to the 70th percentile, which is just the 20% that's above the very middle, there is a 2x difference in all-cause mortality. So you're twice as likely to die, even, you know, or you're 100% more likely to live just being above the median, Right? Not elite, just above the median. And then the bottom 25%, uh, 
to the top 2% is a 5x difference in all-cause mortality. And that's considered elite, right, 2%, but that's not that. It's not like you're going, like, oh, elite marathon runners. It's like if you do a marathons, you're probably elite as far as your VO2 max. It, you know, you just have to be better than 98 people out of 100 as far as your cardiovascular health, your VO2 max, which is not that hard to do. Um, you know, if you have a pretty decent times or you train at that all the time, it's achievable. And that creates a difference of 5x or 400% difference, right? You're dying that much less being in good cardiovascular health than the people, a vast swath of people at the bottom, the bottom quarter, not even the bottom 2% versus the top 2%. It's the bottom quarter versus the 2%. So it's a huge difference, right? And it's a reason to stay in shape. And I was, you know, I talked to Bradley Martin this morning. We we're talking about running and we're doing the Tough Mudder coming up. And I was like, oh, yeah, well, I normally, you know, during the pandemic, I was running like six miles a day and, you know, four mile hill runs. And he was like, what? You know, and I'm like, oh, I was a little bit lighter, but still, I think bodybuilders, um, because it's uncomfortable to run, they just don't want to get good at it. You know, Bradley Martin told me he had pain in his Achilles, and I get that. He's heavier than me, you know, and a, and a little bit shorter, so he has a lot more muscle than me. It is uncomfortable, but you should do it, right? Casey, I know, runs 10 miles a day. True or not? Not. <laughs> but I can if I want. Right. No, actually, it's a good case study because it's a good Casey study <laughs> because he did actually beat everyone at Thick Boy in uh, the Thick Mudder. So By a lot. By a lot, right? So it goes to show you, you have that, you got that VO2 max on tap, right? Preach. I mean, what's up, dude? It's like, not to brag or whatever, but I smoked y'all. Let's check out that six-minute mark. Let's see what it. he says. Those are enormous positive effects of cardiovascular exercise, uh, far greater than the sorts of numbers that I see around, let's just say, supplement A or supplement well, and, B. And, and, and that's, you know, like this is my whole pet peeve in life, right? It's like I just can't get enough of the machinating and arguing about this supplement versus that supplement. And I feel like you shouldn't be having those arguments until you have your exercise house in order. Um, you know, you shouldn't be arguing about your this nuance of your carnivore diet versus this nuance of your paleo diet versus this nuance of your vegan diet, like until you can deadlift your body weight for 10 reps, like then, then you can come and talk about those things or something like, let's just come right. up with some metrics. Like yep. until your VO two max is at least to the 75th percentile and you're able to dead hang for at least a minute and you're able to wall sit for at least two, like we could rattle off a bunch of relatively low hanging fruit. I wish there was a rule that said, like, you couldn't talk about anything else. Uh, like, and we'll just... stop it there. So I thought that was a really good point because so many questions. I rarely get questions on the nuance of training. I do, but people aren't normally coming to me like, you know, hey, my hand position on the bench press or this angle that I'm pushing up. And that's what I find that I teach people in person. Like, if you were to actually train with me in person, I find that I'm making more micro adjustments on, you know, you think you're doing this right or optimally, not that I know everything about everything, but I find that people, it's like, oh, right, you need, you know, small tweaks in this area, but people don't come to me with this. That's the most common thing I like end up doing in real life, but people come to me with, what pre-workout do you use? What do you think about creatine? What steroids should I take? And I'm always tempted to have these conversations pre-workout probably being the least interesting one of all of those because I think you should basically be able to train in your sleep if you need to. Like, you should be able to train while tired, while lethargic, while yawning. Like, you know, not feeling 
jittery from, uh, you know, taking uh, methamphetamine adjacent pre-workout shouldn't be the thing that prevents you from doing bench press. You know, I just don't like, it's nice to like feel up and motivated, but it's like that, that's what you're going to do for the rest of your life is like, be like, man, if I'm not sweating out of my ass cheeks, I can't do deadlifts today. Learn to just do it regardless. That's the most important thing. And then save it for when you really need that extra, you know, a bit of motivation or whatever you think you're getting from pre-workout. I just, eh, you know, take Anadrol, honestly. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's the best pre-workout. Anabolic steroids that hit your body within a matter of hours because they are, uh, you know, methylated oral steroids. Cut that out. No, don't. But seriously, it's like, I'm like, why not just, you know, if you need something that bad, like, go all the way. I, but what they're talking about here is like, on the hierarchy of things to get in shape, supplements are, you know, that's at the very top, which means that every other layer has to be in order. And training is at the very bottom, right? Training, rest, diet. If you don't know how to work out, if you're not doing it properly, if you're not focused on these things, you're not going to get re good results. And I've just noticed that over time. There, I've always talked to people who are like fixating on their supplements or asking about creatine. And it's like, you don't even know how to do a pull-up. You don't even know, you know, and I catch her somewhere is going, you don't even know how to do a muscle-up. Oh, uh. imaginary slam. Um, but I just love that. It was like, you shouldn't be able to ask or talk about anything else until you have your training house in order. Get your training house in order. Spend much, spend ten times as much thinking about your training as you do in your supplementation. You know, eat healthy foods in general and get a lot of protein. That takes care of ninety percent of your diet. You know what I mean? It's really not that hard. There are a lot of options. You know, if you want to lose a lot of body fat, sure, it requires more fine tuning. But like, you know, you're probably not training hard enough if you think that like a supplement's going to be the thing that gets you all those results. You're not training hard enough. What do we have next? I don't know. Oh, my God. Hella Chef Harley. We haven't talked about Hella Chef-related topics lately, and I just wanted to come in real quick and drop some zucchini pasta knowledge on y'all. This is something that, look, I'm not a pasta guy. I don't sit around and fantasize about pasta the way that some people do, even though I did. Uh, I, I grew up eating Italian food cooked by my Irish grandma, who cooked for her Italian husband, who was very demanding and very critical of the recipes that she would throw together. So look, she learned. Because if not, you know what I'm saying? He would clap his hands like this, and you don't want to get the reverse clap. Nice. Does it mean anything beyond this? Yeah, yeah. because it doesn't sound as good. Right, it's just like, this oh, is what is way. that? You know, yeah, yeah that's bad is, fettuccine Alfredo. Yeah, this is kind of <laughs> muted, but this is the way this, to clap. Yeah, that's the clap you want to get. So, you know, oh, you, you messed up the chicken parmesan. For Mario, my grandpa. Now, um, <laughs> so pasta's like, I don't get it. Like, it's not worth it, like splurging carbs onto me. Um, but I remember I was introduced to vegetable pasta. I'm like, oh, damn, this is like the Diet Coke of pastas because Casey's like, ah, time out, bro. I'm, I'm, I'm trying, to bite, gotta, gotta I'm right trying to bite my tongue here. But I'm going to let you finish. I can't. Go ahead. It. Go ahead. Casey, say, Casey, chime in on pasta. To say that zucchini pasta is to pasta as Diet Coke is to Coke is fucking blasphemous. <laughs> and I hate you. Uh -huh. Diet Coke is better than Coke. Okay. Diet Coke is so good. Yeah. Diet Coke is phenomenal. Zucchini pasta, it's tolerable, <laughs> but it's not 
I don't eat it and go, oh, this is like pasta. Yeah. It's a different thing. It's vegetable. Yeah. You put sauce on it. Texturally, yeah. okay. There's some yeah. crossover there. But other than that, I mean, it's not the Diet Coke of this, pasta. I'm you know sorry. what? Actually, if I anything, completely maybe, agree with you. Maybe like lentil pasta is yeah. the Diet Coke of pasta. I agree with you in the sense that because this is an unpopular opinion, so I'm going like, I'm gonna couch this, but my extremist Diet Coke views align with yours. Diet yes. Coke <laughs> is in fact better. It's like, yeah. I've been drinking Diet Coke for so long, and you know I can eat 12 of them if I want to, and it's still zero calories, yeah. and I don't care how much Splenda is sitting in my guts right yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, you know, and there's actually, I mean, we've been over this, but there's no evidence that like, you know, Splenda's gonna ruin your life anytime soon. But I agree with you that I love Diet Coke, and what you said where it's like it's a it's a tolerable uh, analog or replacement for regular pasta that to me is worth the trade, you okay. know, because right. when you go from 200 plus calories per cup down to 20, right, or 30, I was just looking this up, 38 grams of carbs in a cup of pasta versus three grams of carbs for zucchini, and it's kind of like you're getting that effect. If you're not eating carbs all the time, what do you need all this, a bowl of pasta for? Yeah. I don't get it. You know, so I remember anytime I've had zucchini or carrot or whatever squash pasta, I'm like, this kind of scratches whatever itch I thought I had, right? As not being a pasta fanatic, but I don't know. Maybe if you suffer from pasta addiction, you can work in some zucchini pasta for yourself and send in a video telling me how I saved your life. <laughs> That's all that I got for Hello Chef Harley today. Help, I'm on steroids. I wanted to have a brief recap of a conversation that I had with a guy who took advantage. Yes, people are taking advantage of my oak and stone offer. You buy a shirt in the month of August or you buy anything from the website and I will get on the phone with you. We'll figure out a time that works for you. We'll do a 20 minute plus phone consultation. Now I ended up talking to this guy for 40 minutes. I don't mind that because you know I'm here and there. I'll schedule it in a time where it's not gonna be a hard out that I have, oh my God, 20 minutes is up, click. You know. We're also going to catch up. I'm going to see what's up with you before we get into any serious questions I might have. He had some questions about TRT, some of the basics, um, you know, how to backload an insulin syringe. He was using these big harpoons in his shoulder and he's like, man, I'm, you know, I feel like I might be getting some scar tissue or some stuff's happening there. It was a little painful. I'm like, yeah, backload those 29 gauge insulin syringes. You can buy them off Amazon is one thing. Secondly, he was asked, he's kind of had a similar background to me where he took some larger cycles before, and this is kind of what I did in college, I had a few cycles with a number of compounds, you know, went off for a very long time and then came back on to a TRT dose. He's asking me, can I bump it up from 150 up to 200 to 250? You know, what's, what should I do? Somebody else was recommending that I go up to, you know, 600 tests. I'm like, I don't think you need to do that, even though people always do that. Like, oh, you should go up here. Will that work for you? maybe, or you feel like you need that because maybe you're not training that hard or whatever. People always tell me to do more. And I think for most people, it's just not needed until you max out what you got at that dose. So I introduced him to this principle that I believe came from Russia, but it's, it has to do with you find a dose of tests that you can do without an AI, an aromatase inhibitor, or a selective estrogen receptor modulator, a CIRM, such as tamoxifen or Nalvadex. You find that dose of test, well, <laughs> no issues, okay. You find that dose of test that uh, you're gonna tolerate, that's not gonna give you estrogenic side effects, that's not gonna bloat you too much, and you can run with that, right? Because, uh, you know, keep cranking up that test, but you also have to take another toxic compound 
in anastrozole, it's not ideal, right? And you do want some estrogen. You just want it to be an ideal amount, not too low, not too high. Um, and, you know, that was the bulk of the conversation, just giving him some nuances and kind of making him feel a better and, and introducing him to the idea of like blasting and cruising, even just on test, right? Because you can go up to like, oh, I'm going to go up to three or 400 a week and then come back down to a TRT dose and then bump it up, aligning with harder training blocks, right? That's the thing. It's like you push when your dose are a little bit higher for six to eight weeks. Then you come back for a month, maybe also run HCG, Clomid, do a PCT, which you can do on a TRT dose, and it's still going to be effective rather than going, you know, guys are like, oh, I want to do a cycle of tests and then come off completely. I'm like, but why? You know, why would you want to crash or something? And to truly get off of it, it's months. You're going to backslide. You're not going to feel great. And test is just not that toxic to actually require that time, time off like you would from orals. The other thing that he asked that I thought was very important is, can you get a girl pregnant on TRT? There's a lot of information out there, you know, that I would say bro science mostly or rumors or misinformation that the moment you inject anything in your body, it like shuts down your sperm production to the point that you're infertile. Not true. Now, it may reduce it, but if you are running HCG, for example, on TRT, you're probably going to be good. So there's, you know, guys were talking to me about, oh, I went completely off in order to have a kid. I don't think that's necessary. So I would at least get yourself checked first because I know for a fact it is possible. I've gotten several women pregnant while on TRT. Just kidding. Don't clip that. But uh, I know for a fact it is possible. So if that's something that's your major hang up from getting on juice, guess what? We, we, we just cleared the way for you. Time to take off to Juiceville, USA, <laughs> and we can finally get down to some, this is why we can't have nice gyms. Yay. Everyone's favorite segment, what are we looking at here? Oh yeah, mom, uh, this is a text from mom. <laughs> I'm gonna have to let it reload again to see. I found a bag of creatine steroid powder in your bedroom, I'm extremely disappointed in you. Get home, no. And then uh, the dude's running, me running home before she finds the actual steroids. <laughs> I am somebody whose parents actually found their steroids. Uh, you know, not once, but multiple times. And let me tell you, the panic is real. And also trying to explain this. Look, I turned out fine. I knew what I was doing. <laughs> That's debatable. But in a parent's head, like I remember being on the phone with my dad. And in this particular incident, I had gotten a mail order something. And it was like for me and some other people who were, were doing it. But, you know, of course, I was the conduit for all this. Uh, like... They were supposed to hold, I was staying at the college over the summer to do a job and they forwarded my mail to my parents. So my dad gets his package from me and of course they're nosy as shit so they open it up and find all these steroids. And my dad calls me, it's like, well first actually I got a warning from my little brother who's like, dude, this is on the way, like just wanted to hit, you know, like the nuclear bomb is coming, you have 20 minutes to prepare. I was like, thank you. Good um, bro. I was like, is there any way you can just go grab it out of his hands right now? <laughs> But he calls me up and, you know, we had a heart to heart and he ends up crying and it just, it felt so bad to me because I'm like, he was like, you know, said something to the effect of, look, I just, I can't lose you. You know, I'm not going to like do a shitty imitation of my dad's crying voice, but um, he was very emotional because in his mind, he thought I was going to die from this. You know what I mean? And, and I remember a buddy of mine that I also got this for, 
his he was his in, his parents were strict Indian parents, like from India, and they found this under his bed. They found the little insulin syringes, and they're like, "Oh my God, our son's a drug a drug addict doing heroin." You know, it was like the most and even like, no, 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 it's just equipoise. You know, doesn't matter. Um, it's very hard to talk parents back down from that. So that just reminded me of that like absolute panic where you're just like, "Oh my God, this is like the worst." Like, not only are the the, the compounds, you know gone now and flushed down the toilet, but I have to convince my parents that I'm not a drug addict who's going to die any minute, you know, from a sudden cardiac arrest from taking DECA. Ugh. Parents are so lame. <laughs> I take a picture every day since I started going to the gym. I love these things where the guy's like, because <laughs> obviously all he's doing is pushing out his stomach and starting to flex by the end of it while doing all the. <laughs> um, and that just goes to show, like, like we saw Jesse James West over there always couch everything I look at with, like, yes, perfect lighting perfect whatever even for that day if you get dehydrated all these little factors go into your appearance don't be fooled on social media um don't you know look at somebody's physique and think oh my god i'm looking in the mirror or, you know somebody caught me off guard and you know i'm always doing this from like my stomach's out it's like oh i look way, i look 20 pounds fatter when my stomach is distended because i just let it relax you know don't be fooled by social media because the right lighting the right body oil it can all make a huge difference what do we got next POV, you have to travel, but it was leg day yesterday. Eddie Hall's going around in a, is that a wheel? No, it's just like an office chair, right? This is how I felt last week. I was sore for over seven days. I got, I did my eight sets of 20 on leg press and with a final set of 50 at the end. It's too much. It's stupid. I don't think anybody should do that. That's why I recommend doing a few sets a day for legs because I was sore for eight whole days. All right. What do we got now? We got a... Another stupid ass leg press where he's taking all this looks like a third world country gym based on all the shitty plates. But there's like 30 plates on this leg press. Like, but how much can you squat? I bet you can't even rep 405 Astagrass. He's doing less than a quarter squat and it's just embarrassing. Why? Look, if you did all that yourself, I'd almost have no problem with it. But what these guys always do is incorporate every single person in the gym. And that's what I find humiliating. And that's what I always rubs me the wrong way about these narcissistic activities is like you couldn't just do it for yourself you had to like hire everybody around you to participate in this delusion story of my life right <laughs> um let's see this i found pretty interesting because it's i'll just play it here's chris hemsworth playing four in the new movie see an issue they aren't the same person they don't have the same physique CGI has changed the game. They not only can you fight dragons or flight into space, but you now also can look even more jacked than you do in real life. Both Natalie Portman and Chris Hemsworth in this movie were CGI altered to look more jacked. Okay, I think that's that's about enough. So his main point is, we've seen Chris Hemsworth in real life. We've seen him walking around. We see what his workouts are. We've seen the shitty fitness app that he's trying to sell you and uh, pretend like... He's not on steroids and nor is his trainer despite gaining 20 pounds of muscle in five weeks and dropping down to 5% body fat from 15. But he's definitely natural and it's definitely just from flipping tires and doing uh, lunges with kettlebells, right? And some mountain climbers thrown in there too. Everything about this is a lie. His training, his diet, his anabolic use. Um, surprise, surprise, special effects from Hollywood. But it just, it doesn't even stop with that. It's like you're, you're taking steroids 
and you're still using CGI to make you look even buffer. And I think the average person just wouldn't piece that together. They look at him and go, oh my God, look at that amazing, unattainable physique. You know, he's somehow just inherently superior to me. But then you find out it's like, oh no, no, he added three inches to his arms and shoulders from CGI. And that's why you just, you can't believe anything you see in Hollywood, in social media, you know, really anything that you see online or in video is probably going to be fake. There's one exception to that. And I think you know where I'm going with this. That's right. The only person who never edits their photos who pathologically refuses to do any sort of CGI to his body, even though every week Casey goes, we could CGI this. You could look buffer. And I go, nope. I think this is fine. I think I'm buff enough. I think I've got this, dude. I think my lat spread's going to block out the sun. Sinking just like the sun. That's called a lat set. <laughs>